Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast. Our goal is to help Christians love and live out God's Word. I'm your host, Pastor Aaron Nicholson, and today I'd like to discuss the topic of suffering. Ever since sin entered into the world, suffering has been a part of human life. Job 5.7 says, For man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. We all encounter suffering. And I'm thinking of who might be listening to this podcast right now. Dads and moms, employers and employees, married and single, old and young, no matter who you are or what you do, we're all bound to go through suffering and affliction. You might be even going through a trial right now. Maybe you're looking for comfort. And maybe too, you're tired of hearing shallow and unhelpful platitudes like, it's just a job, you'll get another one. Or you'll find someone who appreciates you for who you are. Or don't worry, time heals all wounds. Or you deserve so much better. Or lastly, hang in there. You know, instead of relying on worldly platitudes that appeal to our emotions, we as Christians can go to the Word of God. God has graciously comforted us by telling us the truth about suffering. We may not know exactly why God is giving us a trial, but we can know some of the biblical reasons He gives trials to believers in the first place. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And to help us do that, I want to tell you a little bit about Dr. Bruce Baker. Dr. Bruce Baker has an interesting story. He served in the Navy at 21 years old before he was honorably discharged because his heart was in ministry. He pastored churches across the U.S. for 26 years, founded ministries, earned three Bible degrees, and wrote two books. His last book was called, For Thou Art With Me, and he wrote it because he was dying. In 2017, the doctors told uh, Dr. Baker that he had ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and that the muscles that control his lungs would stop working, and that he would die in six to 18 months. In his book, Dr. Baker said there are only two ways a person receives such news, varying degrees of fear and varying degrees of peace. And as a Christian, he understood that even terminal illnesses are in God's control, and he decided to use his illness as a way to help others. So, he wrote the book titled, For Thou Art With Me, Biblical Help for the Terminally Ill and Those Who Love Them. And I would highly recommend this book to you. I'll make sure I include it in the show notes here. Personally, I found chapter six, Why Me, to be a tremendous encouragement because it provides sound doctrine, or I guess you'd say sound words, for the sufferer. It teaches a theology of suffering, biblical truths that can comfort us in our trials so much more than shallow platitudes that the world comes up with. So, we're going to look at six biblical reasons as to why Christians suffer, and these six reasons are from Dr. Baker's book. Reason number one. Sometimes we suffer as part of the call of God. In Mark 5, Jesus is on his way to healing Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, and on his path, on the way, he encounters a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years. Her bleeding condition was likely a chronic menstrual disorder or uterine hemorrhage, and it would be bad enough to have this kind of physical affliction for 12 years uh, that would certainly come with paleness, fatigue, shortness of breath, But on top of physical afflictions, she endured the social humiliation, or the social affliction, you could say, of being unclean to all who knew her. See, the Mosaic Law stated that she was unclean, Leviticus 15, 25-27. It says, if she has a discharge of blood for many days, she is unclean. Any Any bed she lies on, everything she sits on, shall be unclean. So, 
Maybe this helps you imagine how desperate this woman must have been for healing. The passage in Mark says she first tried to deal with her affliction by turning to man. In verse 26 of chapter 5, it says that she was enduring much at the hands of many physicians, spending all she had, and the condition only got worse. Finally, she hears about Jesus, and she turns to him. Verse 27 says, After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she thought, If I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Now, going down to verse 32, And he, Jesus, looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. This woman's suffering not only led her to physical healing, but to faith in Christ. Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, made you well is a verb that is often translated saved, and it is the normal New Testament word for saving from sin. This suggests that the woman's faith had also led her to spiritual salvation. So, this woman is in heaven right now praising God because he gave her an affliction that led her to saving faith. And she probably doesn't care at this point that she suffered for 12 years. In her mind, if that's what it took to save her, it was worth it. Now, of course, there are other examples of suffering that led people to Christ. In Acts 16, we have the Philippian jailer who became terribly afraid because he thought Paul and Silas had escaped from his prison. As a Roman jailer, he knew that if prisoners escaped under his watch, he would receive the death penalty. So this fear for his life ended up leading him to believe in Christ as his savior. Paul and Silas called out, don't harm yourselves, we're all here. And he responded, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16.30. As a third example, we could look at Daniel chapter 4, reading about Nebuchadnezzar. Because of his pride, he went insane and was driven away from mankind. He began eating grass like a cow and his his hair and his nails grew like bird feathers and bird claws. But God used this suffering in his life to draw him to salvation. At the end of those seven years, he blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, Daniel 4.34. So there are more examples in scripture, but how about in your life? Have you seen suffering lead someone to the Lord? The thing about suffering is that it humbles you. Uh, People don't usually feel strong when they're suffering. Uh, People are not usually confident in their own abilities when they're suffering. They're not full of pride after they're humiliated by a disease, an injury, or an emotional trial. If you see someone suffer, first of all, help them, comfort them, and then help them consider that God may be using it to get their attention for the first time. Maybe, just maybe, their trial will lead them to faith in Christ. So that's reason number one. Sometimes we suffer as part of the call of God. Reason number two, sometimes we suffer as the natural consequences of our actions. This one is quite simple to understand. In Galatians 6, 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Paul is writing to the church. He's talking to believers. And just like unbelievers, our actions have natural consequences. For example, if you drink and drive, you may get into a car accident and lose your leg. As a believer, you can repent of that sin and God certainly forgives you, but your leg won't grow back 
and your car won't be suddenly fixed. No, you'll have to suffer the consequences for your actions. See, the law of consequences, also called sowing and reaping in the Bible, uh, is a law ordained by God. It's part of his common grace, and God has given it to all mankind. Think about pain. Pain is a result of sin, but God also uses pain to teach us. A child learns that touching a hot stove is not good for the body because it hurts. And so Christians learn that when they sin, the consequences are not pleasant. Now, you might want to stop and think, how much of our suffering is really the natural consequence of our own actions? If I don't work hard, I may have trouble finding a job. If I'm rude to people, I may not have many friends. If I'm selfish and discontent, I might be unhappy. Notice that in Galatians 6, 7, it says, do not be deceived. Paul gives that instruction because, yeah, we can be easily deceived in this area. We're vulnerable to the notion that our actions don't have consequences. Well, Paul is saying, well, don't believe this lie. Sometimes the reason you're suffering is not so hard to figure out. It may be the result of a natural consequence for your actions. Reason number three, sometimes we suffer because of God's discipline of sin. This is similar to the last point, but a little different. Sometimes we suffer because of the natural consequences for our actions, but other times we suffer unnatural consequences because of God's divine discipline. Well, what is divine discipline? That's God's loving and fatherly correction in our lives that comes in the form of unpleasant trials. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, 7 through 11. It says this, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate, illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Did you catch that in verse 10? It says he disciplines us for our good. Why? So that we may share his holiness. See, with each of these reasons, and for everything in the Christian life, the ultimate purpose can be traced back to his glory. Discipline brings about holiness in our lives, and holiness brings about God's glory. I know as a dad, I've witnessed the power of discipline. Uh, Yes, I was disciplined as a child, and I'm thankful for it today. But now as a dad, I'm even more amazed at how it works. I read in Proverbs 22, 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And I think, yeah, that's true. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. The rod of discipline. That sounds a little violent at first read, doesn't it? I mean, how can inflicting pain on a child bring about a good result? Don't we teach our children not to hit? Well, it's not violence or it's not hitting because the motive is totally different. The motive is love. It's corrective discipline. And the results are amazing. I mean, not only does my child avoid the foolish behavior I discipline them for, but they love me for it. I have a better relationship with my kids after disciplining them because they're more humble, respectful, and teachable. And this is what Proverbs 29, 17 says will happen. Correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight in your soul. 
Loving discipline is one of the best things a parent can do for their child. When you look at discipline from the Lord in that light, I mean, you're thankful for it. Praise God. He loves me enough to discipline me, to correct me when I'm wrong, to stop me from foolishness, to wake me up from apathy. Revelation 3.19, Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. In Bruce Baker's book, he points out uh, a good illustration. He writes, when you're a child, you're envious of the kid on the block who is ignored by his parents. He comes and goes as he pleases. He never has to be home at a certain time. If he skips school, no one seems to care. To the immature, this seems to be an enviable situation. But is it really? It's the child who is loved that has a curfew. It is the child who is loved that has boundaries. It is the child who is loved that has the rules in force. Put another way, it's the child who is disciplined that is the child who is loved. So it is with God's discipline. Well, what does God's discipline look like? According to scripture, God's discipline may come in the forms of sickness, trial, and even death. 1 Corinthians 11 Paul is addressing believers in the Corinthian church who were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. They were using it as a gluttonous feast rather than a memorial service. They were rushing to eat because they were hungry instead of being patient and waiting for others. 1 Corinthians 11.30 says, For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. That word sleep is literally translated are dead. This shows that God takes sin and the purity of the church seriously. God disciplined some of these Corinthians to the point of death for their sin. Now, death definitely is not the natural result of taking communion in an unworthy manner, but in this case, death was the divine discipline for those believers. If you're wondering, is death the primary form of discipline that God uses on the believer? Well, no, it doesn't appear to be that way. It's an extreme form of discipline, and God uses it to purify his church in the examples we have in the New Testament. Like the passage says, God also uses other forms of discipline, weakness and sickness, and I would argue that he uses those much more often than death as discipline. So do consider if you're suffering, if you're going through a trial, you may be suffering because of God's discipline for sin in your life. And the solution there should be obvious to us, right? Repent. Repent of your sin. Even if you're not sure why you're sick or why you're going through the trial, repent of your sin. Sin grieves God. It makes believers miserable. And yeah, it can bring on God's discipline. We as believers have every reason to repent of our sins and pray that God would help us to flee from them in the future. God's divine discipline is another reason to repent of our sin. Reason number four, sometimes we suffer so that Christian character may be produced in us. There are so many passages in the Bible that address this. Um, Think of James chapter one, two through four. It says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It says various trials. Various trials means various kinds, diversified, manifold, uh, and various trials does not refer to illnesses alone. Various trials in our day could mean your car breaks down, you lose your job, your phone falls into water, you have to end a relationship, your friend or family member gives you sad news. The point is, is that we all encounter various trials. 
But what passages like James 1 is teaching us is that trials test our faith and produce endurance, and endurance produces Christian maturity. Another passage that we could consider is 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7. Um, it's written to believing Jews who were scattered throughout Asia Minor. They were suffering because of their faith. They were being persecuted because of their faith. In verse 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The picture here is of gold being placed under intense heat. As gold melts and turns into liquid, all the imperfections float to the surface so that they may be skimmed off or burned away by the fire. And what's left is the purest gold, without the defects and flaws that it previously had. The end result is that our faith would bring praise, glory, and honor to the one whom it is due, Jesus Christ. Let's also consider John chapter 15. Uh, In verse 1, It says, I am the true vine, it's Jesus speaking, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear, so that it may bear more fruit. You know, my wife and I, we have a small tree in our backyard and it was about eight feet tall um, a few years ago, but the branches were really low and I was tired of ducking under them when I was mowing around it. So I decided to trim it. And apparently, I chopped off one too many branches because my wife, Audrey, said it looked pretty skinny and sad. However, it didn't die. After a few months, it shot up and grew faster than it has ever grown. And now, today, it's probably 15 feet high. Well, God is an expert vine dresser. He never makes a mistake in what he prunes. He is careful not to harm the plant when he trims off the dead leaves and the weak branches. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. This is a tremendous encouragement. As believers, our suffering has a purpose. We can and ought to have joy in our suffering because God is using it to produce good and God-glorifying spiritual fruit in our lives. So don't waste the trial. The next time you're going through a trial, don't feel bad for yourself. Don't be angry. Don't be discouraged. Know that God will not give you more than you can handle. Know that he has hand-selected the trial for you, and if you trust him, he will use it for your good. So pray during the trial. Meditate on his word. Engage your mind in its truths. Be firmly planted. Wait on the Lord. Obey him as you go through it. The trial may not be pleasant, but God can use it to produce a greater love for him in your life. Psalm 119 Verse 71 says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Reason number five, sometimes we suffer so that we might comfort others. Let me read 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 for you. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. You know, in the military, each soldier is trained specifically for his job. There are commanders, pilots, army tank specialists, snipers, and gunmen. Each is excellent at what they do because they've been trained for it. So too, the believer who has endured affliction is uniquely gifted 
to walk with others in their affliction. It's a ministry of comfort. As believers, we don't suffer alone. God has placed us in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.26 says, If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And of course, the comfort goes both ways. When you comfort someone else and you remind them of the rich mercies and comfort that God gives, you yourself are edified. So we need to think of our suffering as training ground. God can use our suffering to prepare us for comforting others. We need to be diligent to take up that ministry of comfort, to visit the sick, to minister to the needs of other saints, and offer the comfort that God gives to us. Last reason, reason number six, sometimes we suffer because of conflict in the spiritual realm. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We know that Satan is active in this world. He is the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. And he has the ability, when God grants it, to afflict Christians with trials. Now, at first, this sounds terrifying, but when we realize that God's hand is sovereign over Satan and his actions, we have no reason to fear. An example of this is found in Job chapter 1. For no other reason, other than for God to prove to Satan that Job would be faithful, God allowed Satan to afflict Job. First, Satan touched all that Job had, servants, sheep, camels, and his children. Job lamented his loss. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job 1.21. And then it says, but through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Job 1.22. So then Satan was permitted to touch Job's health. He struck Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job was in so much pain that scraping himself with a piece of pottery was the only relief he could find. In the end, Job certainly questioned, but did not recant his faith in God. According to scripture, Job never found out why he was suffering, but it is important for us to see that there was a reason behind it. What was true for Job may be true for you. God may be saying to Satan, have you considered my servant Aaron or John or Susan? Put your name in the blank. Maybe God is using you to teach the angelic realm about the faithfulness of the believer. So those are six reasons as to why Christians go through suffering. Uh, Number one, sometimes we suffer as part of the call of God. Number two, we suffer as the consequences of our actions. Number three, we suffer because of God's discipline of sin. Number four, we suffer so that Christian character may be produced in us. Number five, we suffer so that we might comfort others. And number six, sometimes we suffer because of conflict in the spiritual realms. So I want to be clear. One thing I'm not saying is that you'll be able to identify why you are going through a certain trial. You probably can't say, oh, this is because of a conflict in the spiritual realm, or oh, this is God's discipline for a sin I committed last week. No, God doesn't necessarily reveal that to us. The point of this list is not to help you nail down the reason as to why you're suffering. It is to encourage you that God is ultimately in control of your suffering, that the suffering in your life has a purpose, and there are reasons for it. Our duty is simple. Whether we're suffering or thriving, we have the same goal. Worship God and bring Him glory. So I hope this is helpful. Once again, I encourage you to check out the book, For Thou Art With Me by Dr. Bruce Baker to learn more about this topic. Uh, I did read online that Dr. Baker entered the glories of heaven. 
on February 13th, 2022. He lived much longer than the doctors said he would. We praise the Lord for men like Dr. Baker, who has helped the church in so many ways with his faithful teaching of God's word. And I pray this episode brings comfort to you in your suffering. And also, I pray that it helps you bring comfort to others who may be suffering or going through trials as well. As always, thank you for listening to the Sound Words podcast. And just a quick update about our ministry to close. I want to let you know that we have recently launched the Sound Words channels on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. On YouTube, you can search Sound Words, but since our channel is a little new, it may not come up right away. And in that case, try searching Sound Words Indian Hills. You can watch video versions of these podcasts and short Bible teaching videos as well. Be sure to like and share those videos to help us reach more people with solid biblical teaching. And as always, thank you for your support. Hope you have a great day.